The Torah tells us a description of Hashem. Hatsur Tamim Polo, Hashem's actions are perfect. Kikoldarach of Mishpat, all of His ways are just. Kel Emunavein Ovel, a God of faithfulness who has no flaw. Sadik V'yashar Hu, Hashem is righteous and Yashar. Now Rashi is bothered by a problem with this Pasuk, and that is the last expression. After all of these accolades, the Torah's descriptions of Hashem, <coughs> Hashem's ways are perfect, all of His ways are just, He's a <coughs> trustworthy God, and He has no flaw. Tzadik v'yashar doesn't seem to fit. That's almost an understatement. A tzadik is a human being who was shalim, who worked on himself for many, many years, and reached a certain level. First of all, it doesn't really apply to Hashem. Hashem has no flaw to discuss, even that <coughs> He could become a tzadik. But more than that, it sounds like an understatement. Explains Rashi that this is not a description of Hashem by the Torah, but rather this is what people say about Hashem. And Rashi explains that when a person's done his job here, he goes to Gan Eden, but not everybody makes it. The Rishayim, wicked people, go to Gehenim. And in Gehenim, those people who violate Hashem's will, the, they deepen Gehenim. And these people are matzik the din, even though they're in the Asha Gehenim, even though they're burning, they're matzik the din, meaning to say, they say Hashem is righteous, Hashem is proper. Now we don't, as Ashkenazic Jews, we don't discuss Gehenim much, but just as a minor illustration, take the hottest kiln you could ever imagine, four thousand degrees, multiply times sixty, and you have maybe a little bit of an inkling as to what Gehenim is. In that extreme pain, those wicked people who violated Hashem's will, they suffer, they spend their time there. And then Rashi explains what the Gemara means, that they say Hashem is just. The Gemara says, Ribona shall olam. These Rishayim, these wicked people say Hashem. Yafa dananta, you judge properly. Yafa zachisa, it is proper, it is good what you've done. What you've done is just, what you've done is righteous. I deserve this and it's fair. When the Pasuk says, Sadiq v'yashar hu, it means, these wicked people in Gehenim are saying the words, Hashem, this is my just punishment, I deserve it, and what you're doing is proper. And that's how Rashi explains his Pasuk. I have a question I'd like to ask on this Rashi, but first we have to have a little bit of an introduction so you can appreciate the question. There are seven names of Hashem that we commonly use in davening, in learning, the seven names are the only ones we are allowed to use, and they refer to different ways that Hashem manifests Himself in the world. Adoshem is the most common one. That means Adon HaKol. The Machabra in Shulchan Aruch explains that each of these names of Hashem has a spe- refers to a specific way that Hashem manifests Himself, and when we say these terms, we're supposed to have that in mind. When we say Adoshem, so let's have in mind, Adon HaKol. Hashem is the master of the universe. Every activity, everything that happens under the sun is guided, orchestrated by Hashem. That's the kavana, that's the intention we're supposed to have when we say Adon HaKol, when we say Adon, when we say Hashem, Adon HaKol. So let's think master of everything. Another expression is Hamakom, the place. Hamakom refers to Hashem as the place because anywhere that there is anything, Hashem is there. Because Hashem is keeping everything in existence. So if there is something in existence, Hashem is there. So Hashem is Hamakom, the place, because anywhere that there is anything, there is Hashem. Another expression that we refer to Hashem with, another name, is Elohim. 
Now, Elohim is a very, very important expression. And the Machaber and Shulchan Aruch, Tur Shulchan Aruch brings this. What it means is, Baal HaKochas Kulam. Hashem is the energy source of all of creation. And He is omnipotent. He can do anything He wants. And this concept, when we use the word Elohim, what we're supposed to think about is Hashem is the energy source of everything in creation. And He's Kol Yachol. He can do anything He wants. And this expression, I believe, requires some understanding. If you want to understand what this means, imagine the following. Imagine it's a February night, and it's freezing cold, I'm waiting for the bus, I'm frigid. And I, so-called, I close my eyes and imagine a beach scene. White sand, ocean blue, cloudless sky, and one lone seagull wafts across the sky, the bus comes splash. Gone is the sand, gone is the ocean blue, gone is the seagull. I am the dreamer. As long as I dream the dream, the elements in the dream exist. And the minute I cease thinking about it, the seagull, the sand, the water is gone. That's Hashem's relationship to anything in existence. Hashem is the creator and maintainer of everything in existence. If you see a rock, it's there because Hashem is maintaining it at every given moment. If you see a tree, it's not just that Hashem created it and let the acorn grow into the oak tree, it's that Hashem is sustaining, maintaining, keeping every particle of physicality in existence. That's what it means, Baal HaKochus Kulam, when we say the words Elohim, it's supposed to think that Hashem is the energy source, keeping everything in existence every moment of the time. Now the reason why that's an important introduction is because when we discuss punishments in the Torah, you have to recognize that punishments are not revenge. It's not like Hashem finally seeks vengeance and wreaks vengeance against those who are wicked. Any punishment in this world, any punishment in the world to come, is an atonement, is a kapara, it makes amends, it cleans the person up, because Hashem doesn't get angry, Hashem can't get angry. You see, I and you are equals. If you do something to violate my will, I get angry at you. But we're not exactly equals to Hashem. Hashem is so much larger, so much bigger. If Hashem were ever angry at a, someone, Hashem would just stop infusing energy into that person. I mean, Hashem is mishava. Hashem keeps that person in existence. If Hashem were actually angry, Hashem would just stop that person from existing anymore. But more than that, anger is a lack. Anger implies a lack of control, a lack of ability. Hashem lacks nothing. There's nothing that can violate Hashem's will. And the concept of Hashem getting angry is philosophically foolish. Any punishment that you see in the Torah is for the benefit of the one being punished. Why? Because it atones, it makes amends, it cleans that person up so that they can, for eternity, enjoy what they're supposed to enjoy. Okay, with that being said, I'd like to ask the very simple question on Rashi. Rashi is telling us, when the Torah says Sadiq Vyasha, it's telling us a Chiddush, that in Gehenim, the wicked people, while they're burning in Gehenim, they say, this is just, Hashem, your punishment is just, your justice is appropriate, I deserve that. Now that's true, but that's not a Chiddush, that's obvious. You see, when I'm in this world, I'm blocked, and I don't see. But in that world, it's with absolute clarity, with absolute total vision, of course, the wicked people say, Hashem is righteous. Meaning to say, if you'd like to understand the difference between now and then, it's really quite simple. Mike May was a three-year-old boy when he was blinded. He had full sight until that point. It was a chemical explosion. And he spent the next 27 years in total blackness. And at a certain point, he went to a 
out-of-state doctor, and the doctor said, I believe we can restore your sight. After a number of very painful procedures, it was the final day, the doctor made the final incision, and he asked Mike May to open his eyes, and Mike May describes what happened. He opened his eyes, and whoosh! This brilliant whiteness, this incredible... He couldn't even... The overload was so incredible, he was staring at a light. And after a few moments, the doctor asked him to get up, and he was able to navigate. And he described what it's like watching the paisleys in the, on the carpet. The, they were moving, there was so much noise, so much happening. If you'd like to understand the difference between me now and me when I leave this earth, my body's put in the ground, and I separate, and whoosh! My eyes open with brilliance, with acuity, with an incredible sense of perception. You see, right now I'm in this body, and this body blocks me. The heavy, heavy layers of physicality stop me from seeing. And as Ms. Sharma explains to us, the darkness of physicality causes the man's eye to be blinded. And he explains, darkness can cause a person to make two mistakes. Either you don't see the pit, and you fall in the pit and you bang your knee. And you fall in a pit again and you bang your knee. And you fall in a pit and again you bang your knee. That's this world. The darkness of this world makes us blind and we see, don't see things, we fall into it. But he explains there's another mistake that the darkness of night can do to the eye of a person where you can see an image but misunderstand what the image is. <clears throat> you see a stone and it's a statue but you think it's a man. Or you see a man and you think it's a statue. He explains that's a bigger mistake that the darkness of physicality does to our eyesight, because people will hotly pursue so many things, so many things that look good, that seem so important, but it's because we're blinded. But all of that is when I'm in this body. When my body's put in the ground, whoosh, I see with absolute clarity. And every time I look back on the time I fell into the pit, I say to myself, Nah, why don't you open your eyes? <clears throat> the pit was right there, and you fell yesterday, you fell the day before, how did you do it again? And even more than that, all of those things that I so hotly pursued, honor and money, whatever it might have been, I recognize the folly, I recognize the foolishness. In this world, I'm blind. But that's only because I'm housed in this body, kept in this heavy, heavy cloak of physicality. But once I leave this body with absolute clarity of vision, I see everything, understand everything. If so, of course, the Rishayim get it then. Yes, the guy was wicked in this world. Yes, he violated Hashem's will. But that was because he was clouded. That's because he thought this was good for him. That's because he thought desire or money or whatever it might be was something worth pursuing. But that was only because he was in the body. But this is discussing when the body's in the ground, he's left his body, he's now in Gehenna. Of course he justifies what Hashem did. Of course he recognizes what Hashem did is proper because he sees it and understands it. So the question is, what is the Chiddush? And why does Rashi say that this is a Chiddush? That even the wicked people say, Tzadik V'yashuru Hashem is righteous? Of course they do. That should be rather obvious. And to understand what I believe the answer to this question is, we have to understand this concept called sin. The Gemara Pesachim tells us that there are seven things that are hidden from man's understanding. <clears throat> One is the day he dies. The other is the day <clears throat> that the Jewish people will be redeemed. Another one is Omek Hadin, the depth of judgment. No matter how much a person studies it, no matter how much a person thinks about it, the depth of judgment is beyond his perception, beyond his understanding. And I'd like to focus on this Gemara and understand what it's saying. 
And the simplest way to do this is to look at the way the Ramban explains a carbon. A carbon is an animal that you bring, let's say a chatas, you sinned, and you bring a carbon. But the Ramban explains that there's a very particular kavana and intention that you're supposed to have when you bring that carbon. When the carbon is shechted, when an animal is killed, you're supposed to say to yourself, that should have been done to me. When the blood is sprinkled, that should have been done to me. When the fat is burned, that should have been done to me. When the skin is peeled off, that was worthy and appropriate to do to me. Explains the Rabban, of course the carbon has a tremendous spiritual impact, but there's also an intention that the sinner should have when he brings that carbon, that everything done to that animal should have been done to me, but Hashem in His graciousness accepted this animal as the replacement, and this is the atonement for me. And that's how the Ramban explains carbon chatas. And that's fine and well, except for one little problem. What do you bring a chatas for? A sin offering is brought for 34 different types of averas. Let's take a common one. Let's assume it's Friday night, and it's 2 a.m., and you wake up, and you're all kind of disoriented, and you get out of bed, and you go to the bathroom, and you turn on the light. Turn on the light. And then you, oh my God, Shabbos, I turn on the light. You're chayev chatas. Now, you did not intend to violate Shabbos. You did not say, I want to rebel against Hashem. You forgot it was Shabbos, it was 2 a.m., you didn't realize. You turned on the light, you have to bring a chatas. This Ramban is very difficult to understand. You're telling me I'm supposed to think that all of these things were worthy to do to me? I should have been skinned, I should have been killed, I for, for by mistake, turning on the light? That doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. And if you'd like to understand this, I think we have to understand what, in fact, our actions do, and how powerful the human being really is. And to do that, let me share with you an interesting observation. My father was born in Germany in 1922. He escaped Germany in 38, right before the war, and he spent the years of the war in England. And I remember my father telling me that towards the end of the war, he, as every other Jew and maybe every human being alive, was reading the papers very, very carefully, and they began reading about the fact that the Allies are bombing the heavy water plants in Germany. And my father said, he didn't get, what do you mean, heavy water plants? Why are you wasting good bombs bombing heavy water plants? First of all, what is heavy water? And why are you wasting good ammunition on things like that? And no one understood the importance of that until after the war, when Germany surrendered, and Japan continued the war. And it was clear that Japan was not going to give in, and they estimated about a million U.S. servicemen would die if they continued the war. And the United States of America dropped an atomic bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and you saw two major cities obliterated. You saw a city, not not a block, blocks and blocks, neighborhoods, an entire city was just leveled, vaporized. And suddenly mankind came to a new understanding. And that is the atomic power, eventually nuclear power. But you see, that's not conventional weaponry. If you see a crater a mile wide, and a mile this way, and a mile deep, no matter how much TNT you could bring, you're not going to make that size of a crater. How many bombs can you drop? How could you possibly level a city? And what mankind discovered was a whole different force. And I think the first thing that we have to understand is that we live in a physical world, but Hashem created us and gave us incredible opportunities. And when Hashem created Adam Rishon, the first man, Hashem said, look at this world, 
Look at the beauty of this world. Look at the trees. Look at the complexity. Look at everything I created. I created for you. Pay attention that you don't destroy my world. And in fact, Adam Rishon, when he sinned, damaged the world. Now I want to ask you a question. What is Hashem saying? Don't take, don't take a, a hatchet and chop down the trees. Don't destroy my world. What, what, is it, what does that mean? And the Ramchal explains to us that everything in the physical world has a spiritual underpinning. Everything that exists in the physical world has a much more significant spiritual part of it. And a spiritual dimension is what keeps the physical dimension in existence. When Hashem put man into this world, Hashem gave him the keys to my sabratius. And Hashem said, this is your world. If you use it properly, it will be elevated, it will reach the heights for which it was created. If you misuse it, you're going to destroy it. Not the physical world, but the spiritual world, which is the underpinning, which keeps the entire physical world in existence. And that's in fact what happened when Adam Rishon sinned. He destroyed an element of the world. We don't think in these terms, and in this world we're occluded, we're blocked. But that's the reality. Every action that we do has a tremendous impact in the upper worlds, and changes upper worlds, it lights them up or darkens them, and it does things well, well beyond their understanding. And the first reason why a sin is so grave is because we just see the physical element, we don't see the upper world. But there's another aspect to it. If I realize that every single action that I ever do, Hashem is right there. You see, Hashem isn't up there in Shemayim 13 billion light years. Hashem is right there. I mean, the Creator of the heavens and earth put me in the world for one reason, to give to me, to give me the opportunity to grow and accomplish he gave me a Torah which guides me exactly what to do. And all of it was for my benefit. And Hashem warned me, don't do this. And while Hashem was watching, right in front of him, I violated his will. But even more than that, Hashem is keeping my hand in existence. Hashem is keeping me in existence. <clears throat> and with the very hand that Hashem is keeping in existence, Hashem is keeping it, I'm keeping it, I take that very hand and smack Hashem in the face. Any sin <clears throat> violates the will of God. Hashem said, don't do it. How dare you do it? If a king told me not to do it, I wouldn't dream of doing it. How do you dare violate the will of Hashem, your Creator, when He's right there, when you, <clears throat> He's keeping you in existence? And if we understood the gravity of one sin, we'd be blown away. We don't. And this is one of the areas that's hidden from mankind and will never understand the depth of judgment because we can never understand the gravity of the sin, because we don't understand the impact of our actions. We don't understand the power of our mitzvahs, we don't understand the damage of an avera, because we live in the physical world. But when I leave this earth, then suddenly, whoosh, I get it with absolute clarity. Okay, now with that as an introduction, I'd like to ask you a very interesting question. We don't like to judge, and we pretend that we don't, but we all do it. We rate ourselves compared to this one, compared to that one, compared to this one. So here's my question. How do you and I, let's say I would ask you a question, who's greater in the world to come, me or you? We want to rate, am I greater, are you greater, who's greater in the world to come? Okay, so let's say we decided to do this little exercise to determine who's going to be higher up there, who's greater in the world to come. So let's start with the Cheshman, we'll begin with me. So we have to begin with the beginning of my day, let's say today, and we have to analyze every action I did because everything counts and everything's measured. So I got up this morning, did I say modani with appreciation or not? Then I said brachas, did I say them properly or not? Did I learn, did I daven? Did I, was I polite to my wife when she said something? Was I 
gentle and, and appreciative or not. And I spoke to my kids. Then I went to Daman and Shul. <clears throat> Did I have Kavana or not have Kavana? If you think about the many actions that we do in a day, you realize there are a multitude. Anytime you sit down to learn, every single word of Torah is a mitzvah, assay, an independent mitzvah, every word. If you speak Lashon Hara, potentially you violate 17 los assays and 13 assays. If you embarrass a person, you yell at a person, get into a fight. By the way, one fight between husband and wife, the amount of los assays and assays and they violate a beyond description. If I were to count one day's worth of mitzvahs or averas, I would find it's in the thousands. So let's imagine that each day of my year, I did, let's say, 1,000 acts. Okay. Over the course of a year, 365 days, it's about 3.65 million acts. If I want to know who's greater, me or you, I said, number one, I have to measure up all of my actions. So let's assume I'm 23, so 3.65 million a year actions. Uh, over 10 years, it's 36 million. By the time I'm done my job in this world, it's going to be in the hundreds of millions of separate actions. But the problem is, then I have to weigh yours. I have to do each of your days, and each of your weeks and months and years. And when you begin counting in that large numbers, it becomes very, very difficult to compare. But that's not really why it's so hard for me to compare me to you in the world to come. It gets much more difficult when you focus on the scale of measure. Let's imagine I get up to Daven for the Umud in Shul. And let's imagine I have a beautiful voice and I start singing. That might be a tremendous mitzvah. <clears throat> if my intention is to make Hashem's name known and to give people kavana in davening, it's a beautiful act. However... If my intention is people should hear my name, people should hear my voice, people should appreciate the wonderful melodic tone that I have, then it's not just not a mitzvah, it might be self-aggrandizement, it might be even a negative. And Rishul Salant explains that there are thousands of degrees of separation in one action. One action isn't just an action, good or bad. One action can be a tremendous, tremendous mitzvah, or it could be the opposite, it could be diminished, diminutive, small, small, tiny, and it might even be a negative. Thousands of degrees of separation. The Orch HaZadikim explains that one action of a humble man, Hashem accepts a thousand times more than that same action by an arrogant man. Meaning my one daf gemara might be a thousand daf gemara of that other person. Thousands of degrees of separation. So number one, if I want to compare me to you, I have to have a pretty, pretty large calculator because we're talking in hundreds of millions. Number two, each discrete one of those hundred millions could have thousands of degrees of separation. But that's really not why it's so difficult for me to compare me to you in the world to come. If you'd like to know why it's especially difficult, I'll share with you something interesting. A number of years back, I was a Rebbe in Rochester, and I pulled out my back. And a good friend of mine, Doc Roskin, said to me, come to the gym. Come to the gym, I'll, <clears throat> we'll get you in shape. So I went to the gym, and I met Art D'Antonio. Art D'Antonio was a trainer, owned the gym. Art D'Antonio was the widest human being I ever met in my life. I watched this man bench press 400 pounds, do reps with it, kind of things that human beings really can't do. Okay, in any case, <clears throat> he showed me what to do. I began working out, and I was doing it for a good number of months, and I, I started getting in shape, and it really helped my back to, to very well. In any case, there was a fellow in the colo there 
who <coughs> found out I was going to the gym, uh, you know, on a pretty regular basis. And he said to me one day, I want to come to the gym. I said, I don't think it's for you. He said, no, no, I want to come. <coughs> now you have to understand, I had a background in martial arts. I would lifted before, so I was very familiar with this. But this guy was a real yeshivish uh, fella. He, I don't think he knew what a pair of running shoes looked like. He'd never trained in his life. And I, <coughs> I tried to sort of talk him out. Anyway, bottom line is he said, I want to come. So I brought him down. Art Antonio took one look at this guy and realized with what he was dealing. But he was a real gentleman, and he took his time, and he worked with this fellow, and he showed him how to lift, and he worked with him very carefully. And this fellow began going day after day, week after week, for a couple of months. And he started getting, you know, getting the motions down, and he started getting stronger and started doing, you know, pretty well. And at a certain point, this Cola fellow comes over to me and says, you know, that Art Antonio, I don't know what's wrong with the guy. Every time I get the motion right, he puts more weight on the bar. What's wrong with him? I wanted to shake this guy up. And you see, progressive weight training is about increasing the load. When you put more load on the body, the body for- is forced to respond. And progressive weight training is about forcing the body to respond to the greater load. It's not the going up and down, it's the amount you're lifting. And I believe that's a very important muscle to understand. You see, I have a load on my shoulders. And you have a load on your shoulders, but they're very different loads. I don't know what your load is. I may not even know what my load is, but I sure cannot compare me to you. I'll give you a for instance. I know a guy who never davens with a minion. Will not daven with a minion. Obviously, he's not a chash of ben Torah, right? Except one thing. He has social anxiety. He doesn't know where to place himself. Too close to that guy, too far to that guy. He can't daven a minion. He carries a very different load than you or I. And what about a person who has certain tendencies? Certain. Every human being has different challenges, different limitations, different potential. So if I try to compare me to you in the world to come, number one, we're dealing with hundreds of millions of actions. Number two, each action could be across a scale of thousands of degrees of separation. But more than anything, I don't have a clue to what your potential is. I don't have a clue to the load on your back. I don't even know my own. And the reason why that's very telling is because I believe that's exactly the Chiddush that Rashi is sharing with us. You see, when the Rishoyim are in Gehenim, the complexity of the din is beyond belief. We're talking about millions of actions, millions of degrees of separation in it, and what that Russia's potential was and what it wasn't, but everything is so clear in the world to come that when he's in Gehenim, that wicked person says, Hashem, you're just. Sadik, Yasha, Hashem, what you did was appropriate. My punishment is right. It exactly fits the crime. Yafa Dananta, Hashem, you judge properly. And I believe what Rashi is sharing with us is the clarity that we have there is something that's beyond our comprehension. Here we can't even relate to what an Avera is. Here we can't even relate to the power of a mitzvah, what it changes. But in that world we can. But even more than that, the incredible complexity of Din, the depth of judgment is beyond any human comprehension. But that's because I'm clouded. I'm in this body and I'm blocked. But when I leave this body, I see everything with absolute clarity. And every moment of my life, whoosh, is right there. From the time I was a teenager all the way through my younger adulthood, every single moment, every single interaction is there. And it's clear what was a mitzvah, what was a vera, how good it was, how bad it was. And everything I see with absolute clarity. And the wicked people are in Gehenim and say, Hashem, you're just. This pain, this punishment I'm going through right now exactly fits the crime. And I believe the Kiddush of Rashi is that when you're dealing with that complex a din, that many actions over that complex 
number of differences that a human being could actually perceive it then is a big Kiddush, and I think it's very important to note. Now, with that being said, I'd like to begin tonight's shmuz. And let me begin it with the following simple observation. We are maminim. We believe. And we know that there is a mitzvah of tshuva. There's a mitzvah, Rambam explains, there's a mitzvah of tshuva all year, but especially on Yom Kippur, there's a mitzvah's essay, you should do the mitzvah of tshuva. Now, here is the little question. We know there's a mitzvah of tshuva, and we also know that tshuva works. We're told over and over, and I don't think there's a Jew who questions the fact that if you do a real sincere tshuva, it works. We're told about Rishoyim, wicked, wicked people. We're talking about a Nevuzaradan, we're talking about Elisha and Avuya, who had they done a complete tshuva, Hashem would have eradicated it. Chazal tell us at the last moment of a person's life, if he does a total complete tshuva, nothing is remembered from what he did wrong. And we get that, and we understand that. So here's the question. If I recognize the fact that I am going to stand in din at the end of my days, and I know there's a day of slicha and mechila, there's a day called Yom Kippur, and all I have to do to eradicate sins, to get rid of them, is just say to Hashem, I blew it, I messed up. I have to do vidui, I have to have charata, the regret, I have to have a ziva I leave it, and I make up a kabbalah, but I make up a to do differently in the future. But if I do that process, it's gone. See, here's the question. If I understand that I could get rid of it, and I understand the power of tshuva, and tshuva works, how is it possible that we're not there in shul on Yom Kippur, begging, beseeching, clapping, but really crying, really doing a total, complete tshuva? How is it possible? And I'd like to share with you why it's so difficult for us to do tshuva. And that's because we have a little bit of a skewed version of what happens after we leave this earth. We make three mistakes. The first mistake we make is everyone thinks that it's going to be great and glorious. When I die, we're going to be all angels in white. We'll be angels in white with white wings. I'll have white wings, you'll have white wings. And we'll dance forever in glee and happiness forever. Two angels in white dancing together. Now, it is true that Ganadin is beautiful. And it is true that there will be people who will shine. But I'd like to share with you, and Ms. Shalom explains to us, that there are going to be vast, vast differences amongst people. And there will be some people who will shine like the sun in midday. Brilliant, beyond perception. And there will be some people who will be whatever. And some people will be diminutive, some people will be damaged, some people will be crippled. But the differences in Madrega and level is beyond our understanding. So if the first mistake we make is to think it's going to be all good, we'll all be angels in white. It's true if you reach your potential. It's true if you really grow. But that issue is something that you're here on the planet to do. And that's the first mistake we make. But there's a second mistake we make that I think is even more difficult. When you apply for a job, imagine you're 40 years old, and you apply for a job, and the employer asks, you know, what school did you go to? I went to Pace University. Oh, very nice. What was your GPA? Your GPA means your grade point average. He's not going to ask you what grade you got in physics in the second year, what grade did you get in, in astronomy. He asks for your on average. I believe most of us look at the world to come like this. Listen, I'm not a tzaddik, I'm not saying, but on, on balance, I'm a good guy. I do have errors, true, I do mitzvahs, so on balance, my GPA is pretty good, I'm, I'm, on balance, I'm, I'm doing okay. Now, your GPA is very important when you're applying for a job, 
<clears throat> but in the world to come, there's no GPA. Every single action for the good and for the bad is weighed and measured. One doesn't discount the other. <clears throat> you're a tremendous tzaddik and you did tremendous great things, but you also did things you weren't supposed to. Each one is weighed, each one is measured, and each one you're held accountable. There's no grade point average. It's not on balance. It's with extraordinary precision. But there's a third mistake we make, which is probably the most egregious one. And that is, I have no serious plans in dying. <laughs> I mean, listen, <clears throat> all the stuff about the world to come, and Ganadin, and Gehenna, it's nice, but it's, <laughs> it doesn't apply to me, because I have no plans, I'm, I don't plan on dying. I'm just not, I don't plan to happen. And as strange as it sounds, that's a part of our reality. And as a part of our reality, I should put into us, because if we ever really got it with absolute clarity, we'd lose free will. But the strange part is we walk around with this operative thought, I'm never going to die, the party is going to live on forever. And I believe these three issues are solvable on Yom Kippur. You see, Yom Kippur is a unique day. It's a day that Hashem is much more accessible, much more available. Dear Shu Hashem Bimatzo, seek out Hashem when He's close. From Rosh Hashanah until Yom Kippur, Hashem is much more there. You could feel Hashem, you could speak to Hashem. It's a very different dominating, a very different experience. But Yom Kippur particularly is an incredibly holy day. It's a day of slicha machila, it's a day to do tshuva, but it's a day that you can look back on your year with absolute clarity. You can have a totally different understanding. You see the fast, especially as the fast starts taking effect, and the body starts weakening, and suddenly your neshama starts coming more to the fore, and your mind, you may be tired, you may be but your mind starts thinking a little bit more clearly, and you're able to perceive things with a very different sense. And what you should be doing on Yom Kippur, I believe, is looking back and asking yourself, am I the man, am I the woman I want to be? I remember very clearly dominating one Yom Kippur next to my son. We are in yeshiva, and I started, I was crying. And I was a little embarrassed, you know, crying, you know, but then I said no. I want him to know that the man he sees now is not the end game. I don't want to end here. If I had to stop now, if it was over, the curtain comes down, the music stops, and I was frozen at this point, it would be ach and it would be a pretty rough spot. And I want my son to know that what he sees now is not the end game. I'm not happy. I'm not satisfied. There's a lot to go. And I think what a Jew should be doing on Yom Kippur is looking back, but more than anything, looking forward. You see, if I recognize the fact that I'm here for a few short years, if I recognize that for eternity I will be what I shape myself into, and every single action is a tremendous accomplishment or the opposite, and everything is there and is weighed and measured, with that understanding I plan my life very differently. Number one, I make concrete, real plans to change. I make concrete, real plans plans to be a different person. Probably the single greatest plan that a person can make is to learn Musr daily. There's nothing like learning Musr on a regular basis to keep you in line, to keep you in touch. If you can learn it from a Musr Sefer, that's the best. If not, you can listen to Shiurim. There are many. You go to shmuz.com and you'll see a host. There's Musr 101, there's the Musr Workshop. There's tremendous amount of material. You could spend the rest of the next year, guarantee, listening. And if that doesn't work, you find what works for you, but you learn Musa every day. And one of the things that a Jew should do is make a plan. I will learn Musa every day, and I will change. I'll be a different person. And you have to pick areas. You have to pick particular areas that you need to work on. 
One person may be anger, another person may be arrogance, another person may be just patience. You have to pick your weak area and make a plan. I am going to change in this area, I'm going to focus on this area. And the next thing you have to do is look back on your year and ask yourself, am I happy with the things that I've done? And if you recognize the fact that for eternity I will be what I shape myself into, and I can change it, all I have to do is reach an understanding that what I did was destructive to me. All I have to do is reach an understanding that Hashem wants my betterment. Hashem wants my best. Hashem loves me more than I love me. And Hashem, Hashem gave me mitzvahs for my growth, for my benefit. And what I've done is damaged myself. I took my hand and put it in the fire. And if I could come to that understanding and then say to Hashem, I'm sorry, I wish I didn't do it. I horribly regret what I've done. That's tshuva. And incredibly, it eliminates the sin. The deeper the regret, the more the acceptance in the future, the more that it removes. And if a person does a complete tshuva, it removes it totally. I don't know what to say. This year, and probably more than ever, I think this reality should be with all of us. You and I both had a Pesach not that long ago that was different, I'm almost sure, than any Pesach you had before in your life. I know my Seder was different than it had been any year before because we were alone. Just us. And when you live through the recent events, and you live through a time that's so, there's that word, unprecedented, and as used and banal as that word is becoming, but that is reality. We lived through times that were unique, and every one of us know people who got sick, or we got sick ourselves, And you realize something very, very important. Life is real. And more than that, life has an end. I hope Mitzvah Hashem is going to be many, many years from now. Many years from now. But I guarantee my life and your life will end. There will be a day. Again, I hope it's a very long time from now. But there will be a day when it's Seyschem L'Shalom, curtains down, game over. And at that moment it's freeze exactly who I am at that moment is who I am for eternity. And here's one of the main questions to ask yourself on Yom Kippur. Am I the man I want to be? Am I right now happy with myself? Am I pleased? And let me share with you a very important concept. If you honestly say, yes, I'm happy, I'm pleased with the way I am, you're failing at life. If you believe that you are succeeding in every area of life, then you don't have a clue to your potential. You don't have a clue to what you could accomplish. Because if you understood that Hashem put us here to grow and accomplish, but to become truly great, you'd quickly recognize that every one of us is failing in at least one area of life, if not more. But that's almost by definition. We were put here to grow. We were put here to change. If you were perfect, your job would be over. I hope you're not yet perfect. Because I hope you have more work to do and you'll be here for a lot longer. But that reality that I'm not perfect, and more than I'm not perfect, there are many, many things that I'm very displeased with. And many, many things that I wish to change. And with that understanding, you look back on your year and you beg Hashem for mechila, you beg Hashem for forgiveness, and you ask Hashem for help in the coming year. I want to change, I want to grow. You set specific things that you want to focus on. You make up whatever you can do. If it's certainly to learn Musa, I believe that's one of the most important things to do. And you pick an area, 
but you turn to your Creator and say, Hashem, I'm not happy with the way I am. Please help me change. Please help me grow. I think what this Rashi is sharing with us is a tremendous concept. And that concept is, in the burning heat of Gehenim, the wicked people say, Yafa Danant Hashem, you judged appropriately. And you know why that's a Kiddush? And because the judgment is so complex, beyond anything that you or I now could ever understand. Even though it's true, right now I'm blocked by physicality, even though right now I'm blocked, but I should be able to see you, but the answer is I can't see you. Why? Because the judgment is on so many points. Every single day of your life, at least a thousand and probably more. And that means in 10 years, it's, in a year it's 3.65 million, in 10 years it's 36 million, in a lifetime it's 100 million. For me to compare me to you is beyond any human's calculation. Number one, the sheer amount of actions. Number two, every action could have thousands of degrees of separation. When I daven for the element, was it lishma to serve Hashem properly, or was it for my own self-aggrandizement? And thousands of degrees of separation between a mitzvah done properly and a mitzvah done improperly. But more than anything, I don't know the weight on your shoulders. I don't even know the weight on my shoulders. And I don't even know my potential. <clears throat> One thing I believe is clear there's a multitude of things that I've done well this year, and I'm afraid to say a multitude of things that I've done not so well. And I sure don't want to repeat them, and I ask Hashem for help, and I sure do want to eradicate them. And when you focus on the complexity of the din, you focus on the gravity of it, and you understand that what I can understand is but a tip of shabayam, it's just a tip of the iceberg, because I'm looking from a physical world. When the Ramban says, for one Avera, if I turned on the light on Shabbos by mistake, this is what's worthy to happen to me. Look at that carbon. The killing of it, the blood, the burning. That's what, for me, what, what did I do? I made a mistake, I forgot. Yeah. You made a mistake. God was right there. God was keeping you in existence. God was holding you. And more than that, you look from a physical sense. You don't understand the upper worlds. You don't understand what you're changing. We live in a world of very, very occluded, very dark. We don't get it. And when you recognize on a Yom Kippur, you can understand things to a much greater extent. And when you understand that the Rishayim sit there and review their entire life, and they're able to see it clearly, every action, every moment, and they get it and they say, Hashem, what you judged me on was appropriate, was fair, you begin to understand the justice. And I believe that's what Rashi is sharing with us, and that's a concept that's very important. And if we could touch that moment... If we could touch that moment, it would propel us to the heights. A Yom Kippur is a day that our eyes are opened, our mind understands, we could touch, we could feel things that we can't the rest of the year. And in that clarity, a person should make decisions, a person should think, and a person should plan. And I have one last little thought. If you'd like to understand the beauty of the day, the opportunity of the day, I'll give you a very simple muscle. Had you taken $10,000 and invested it in Apple stock in 1980, when it started, that $10,000 today would be worth $6.7 million. Now I want you to imagine for a minute, imagine you could go back in time, and imagine you could go back and say, oh my goodness, $10,000, i will get $100,000, the wealth is incredible, I'll beg, I'll borrow, I'll steal, I'll get money from anywhere, because you know it's going to increase, you know it's going to increase, it's going to increase so many times that it's beyond description. You'd be motivated, you'd be driven. My friends, if we could touch what it's like in the world to come, 
and be there in Gan Eden and look back and say, idiot, what was I thinking? I had a Yom Kippur. I could have changed. I could have grown. I could have gotten rid of so many Averas. I could have taken on to change. I could have asked Hashem for help. Why didn't I do tshuva? Why didn't I get rid of this and this and this? I have to carry it forever. If we could touch that moment and with that clarity look back, it would change us. It would propel us. On Yom Kippur, you have clarity. You'll never quite touch it. But on some level, you can understand it. And with that, it could propel you to look back on your year, to do tshuva, and to change who you are in existence. May Hashem grant us the wisdom, the understanding, and the seat Shmaya to put this into practice. I'd like to now open the floor to questions. Please feel free to raise your hand if you like. Uh, I'd much rather take raise hands. If you want, you could type the questions in, but I do want to take questions, so please feel free to raise your hands. It looks like Dan's hand is up. Is this right? Dan, you have the floor. Is your hand up by purpose? Yes. Yes. Thank you. My okay. wife and I were listening to your schmooze, and we were thinking we're definitely in that camp of people that do a lot of good things but have multiple things that we're failing at. Welcome so, to the human race. <laughs> so how do we know whether we can still get into Gan Eden with these failures that we, we still have? Okay, so let's understand something for a minute. Getting into Gan Eden isn't that hard. If you keep Shabbos, Kosher, Taras and you keep your, you, you make it into Gan Eden. The question is where you're going to be. <laughs> the back row, the front row. You know, what I mean to say is like this. You see, Hashem is very kind, and Hashem is loving, and Gehenim is a time that cleans up, it's a cleaning process, and when you've done that, meaning anything you've done wrong here, hopefully you get rid of in Gehenim, and then for eternity you are what you shape yourself into. Now, the problem is that some people are going to be powerful, brilliant, some people are going to add, some are going to be small, so the odds are good you'll get into Gehenim, assuming you're keeping Shabbos, kosher, you're basically a from Jew, an Orthodox Jew, you're doing what you're supposed to, you'll get there. The question is, who are you going to be? And the differences are incredible. The differences are dramatic. You see, it's not as simple, a little different. You see, let me be clear for a minute. The, the judgment on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is vastly different than the judgment at the end of our days. And they're very different on a number of levels. And number one, on Rosh Hashanah, we're not judged um, on every action. We're judged much more on balance. If you're a person who's growing, if you're a person who's worthy, Hashem will give you a year of health and success and everything you need. Um, the judgment on Rosh Hashanah is much more like a GPA. It's not in every action, and not every action is held in, we're held accountable for, and it's plenty of time to do tshuva. Therefore, even though last year I was, I had an Avera, I could do tshuva this year on last year, the year before, so there's tremendous opportunities to clean up. The stop point is when I leave this earth, then it's judgment on every single action, and then the judgment is extraordinarily medactic, the depth of it. And there, who I am for eternity is based on what I shape myself into. Now, hopefully, I've done a lot of good, and that allows me to get into Gan Eden and, and to a certain place. The biggest problem is that if I sinned, it prevents me from growing. It prevents me from becoming who I could be. It's like you're carrying around this heavy load. And if you don't get rid of that stuff, forget the fact, you'll probably get rid of it in Gehenna, but the problem is it's weighing you down here and you can never reach your potential. And for eternity, you'll be a fraction of what you could have been. The biggest reason to get rid of Avera is, is so that I can get closer to Hashem, I can grow, and I can reach my potential. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I was just um, wondering, because you also said the people that never sinned also didn't reach their potential. But I guess we're talking about very few sins as opposed to 
many. No, no, the people. Um, all right, that's a complex issue, but right. But it's meaning. You see, the truth is, we're talking. You know, I love when people say, "What do I have to do tshuva on?" Uh, uh, listen, if I had to make a list of what I have to do, it'd be. Inc- I mean, again, every single action of my day could be either tremendous or not. And it's, we have this sense of like whatever. You know, I spend some time learning. I dom and I, I'm a nice guy, not a nice guy. If I understood the impact of every action, if I understood what I could accomplish, I'd understand this a, tr- a human being is has such potential, and therefore with tremendous potential comes tremendous responsibility. If I understood that, I'd recognize there's an awful lot to do tshuva on, an awful lot more that I could accomplish, and I ask Hashem for help in, in those areas. So, Dan, I'm not sure I answered the question, but um, are we good? Yeah. Okay, Thank good. You. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Sure. Okay, Avi, you, uh, let me see if I can give you the floor. Avi, you have the floor, I believe. I think you do. Hopefully you do. No, you don't. One second. I'm sorry, Michael V. Michael Veg. Mike Veg. Mike, is that you? Hello. Shalom hey, Aleichem. How you doing? Uh, Avi, who's that? Mike? I, I don't know. I don't know. Now two people have the floor. I'm like technologically um, impaired. <laughs> <Second>. <laughs> One second. Mike, let's take you first and Avi will take second. Go ahead, Mike. I think you have the floor now. So if a person is working on themselves, or at least they think they're working on themselves, mm-hmm. they're keeping Siddharam, doing a little muscle here and there. Um, if the question is, you feel like you're... and yet you're far from Sitkas in any shape of uh, the imagination. Right. Where, 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 where do you go from here? You know, it's like... Uh, you're aware, at least you think you're aware of Yom Kippur. You're aware of, of everything. You're aware of. Um, we're aware of. Um, you're aware of everything. You're aware of many things, and yet we're, you're aware of nothing. Right. At least that's the way it feels. Okay. So, much the problem is that you have too accurate an understanding. Most of us are spaced out, and most of us don't realize. Um, but what your accurate understanding is is based on uh, uh, because we know each other very well I can be very candid <clears throat> you are extremely demanding of yourself and Baruch Hashem you're growing and I know you from, from years and years <clears throat> so you recognize that there's a lot more that I could do you're right but you have to understand that and, that's and, and, still, and yet still manage to fail yeah you're right but you have to understand something even great Sadiqim <clears throat> Rav Lozabar Padas said to Hashem I can do more and Hashem said you're right Everybody can do more because Hashem gave us so much potential. And don't get me wrong, if you get to an Aiden, let's see, I'll give you a very simple marshal. Let's say you could have made $200 billion, but you only made $100 billion. How are you doing? You're doing all right. Meaning to say, if you get to an Aiden and you only reach 80% of your potential, don't worry about it. You're fine. You're doing phenomenal. The problem is if you're reaching 20% of your potential. And the problem is if you're blowing it in, in real terms, meaning no one's going to make 100%, even the great, greatest Sadiqim reached 99, 95, meaning, again, Halavai, we're getting to 70, 60%, we're doing, we're doing phenomenal. Halavai, we're getting to 70, 60%. But, but who knows where their potential is, as you said before. Moish, you're right. You are right. You're 100% right, and you got to keep pushing, and you got to keep asking. You have to make sure it's not a Yitzhahara that drives you to beyond what you're capable of. Uh, I find that every year you make a list, and over the years, I'll make my list get smaller and smaller. I want to work on less and less, and less because I'm actually 
as you go through the year, you, you're, you, they fall through your fingers. So instead of working on this big list, you're lucky if you work on one or two things and accomplish either of those as well. That's right. The Bali Musa would say, when you make your list for Yom Kippur, take that list and rip it in half, and then take that and rip it in half, and make up those are the things you should do. Because you're right. It, the odds of us keeping it in any real sense is slim, but that's what I'm saying. If you learn Musa daily, if you make one Kabbalah, I'm going to learn Musa every day, that'll have the biggest change. Why? Because that keeps you moving, it keeps you motivated, it keeps you on track. Maish, don't worry about it, you're doing great. Maish, I know you well enough to know that you're doing great, I wouldn't worry about it, but keep on pushing, keep on striving, and Hashem will help. All right? I'll leave you go. Okay. Gemar Tov, thank you. Okay, Avi, you have the floor. Oh, no, Alicia had the floor. How did I blew that? Alicia, one second, is that true? I'm trying to get back to Avi, but yes, Alicia. Yes, I do, hi. So, my question is, um, the Yitzhara has me, because I'm reading a safer called The Juggler and the King, mm-hmm. and now it says when you do good, you get Gaivadik, and when you do bad, or like, at least when I do bad, I feel bad. So now... My HR is telling me, well, don't do good because then you're going to become Gaivadik. And that's like the worst thing. And then don't do bad because then you, that's right. the wrong thing. Right. I'm like stuck. I'm stuck on a. I'd say like, do good, yeah. do good, keep doing good. And the guy, if you have to work on it, you work on it, but don't worry about it. And meaning, okay. Alavai, you get that good that you got to work on the Gaiva. But if that happens, so you work on it and you, you, you know, come back okay. to earth. Okay? Okay. Right. <laughs> good, good, sure. Okay. Okay. Okay, Avi, I'm going to try to get you now. Let me see if I can do this now. Avi, I think you got it. Yes. All right, great. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Hi. Okay, Baruch Hashem. So uh, here's my question, and I've listened to many of the shirim, uh, with many shmuzim, and and this is really what I wonder. There's teshuva and there's teshuva shlema. And, you know, when I look at the list of the al-chates that we say, uh, there are things that maybe there are mitzvot, that I really need to improve upon. And maybe I've spent a couple years already trying to improve upon them. And yeah, there's there's differences, but and I've improved, but I'm not really there. Or conversely, maybe there's a virus. There's like a couple significant virus that, yeah, you know what? I, I'm a sucker for and I really keep going back to it. And I really try to make shoot up to shoot before it. And as you said, um in your schmoozim on different subjects, these things really do take time. It takes a lot of effort, it takes a lot of consistency. So as I'm, you know, asking and I'm trying to make teshuva in a certain area, mm-hmm. in a couple specific areas, I know in the back of my head I've made progress here, but I'm not. I haven't eradicated it. It's not really um, teshuva shlema. How can I, you know, how do I in my head like think like the chances are I might, you know, still have this issue that I'm dealing with in the coming year, despite the fact that I'm asking, you know, Hashem to please help me make teshuva. So I'm just trying to how I reconcile between like. Shuba for right now, and like big picture, really eradicating that sin, or you know, or really fulfilling that mitzvah, okay. that kind of thing. Okay, that's an that's excellent. the question I want to ask. And just since I had you, just only because you said that we should really learn with, or I just want to share. Like, I want to know what, like, if you have a few svarim that you would recommend. I started relearning misil sharm, and I got halfway through, and I was like, you know what, I really need to work on this first half. Why am I going deeper and deeper? Like, let me go back and try to really work on the first half. So. Just if you can maybe comment on how yeah. your approach to actually learning most of the would be helpful. Okay, so let's start with the first point. So, <clears throat> really, to answer your question, I want to share with you something. Someone asked this question on Thursday night at the Shmooz Live, and I wasn't able, I didn't have a chance to answer it. And their question was as follows. The question was, how could Hashem forgive me 
when I can't forgive me? Any other question? I emailed that question. That was- oh, beautiful. Here we go. Okay. Thank you. Wow, look at that. Hashem helps. See? Okay. You know what the answer to that is? Again, let's say the question again. How could Hashem forgive me when I can't forgive me? And I'll explain to you. It's very, very simple. You can't forgive you because you expect something out of you. Hashem can't forgive you because Hashem knows what you can do and what you can't do. Hashem can forgive you because Hashem knows you're doing as much as you can. You can't forgive you because you expect more out of yourself than you're capable. Well, guess what? You can't do more than you can do. For instance, let's say I decide, you know, this business about knowing Shas is really a big deal. I don't, so this year I'm going to master Shas. I'm going to, from the beginning, from Brachos today, I'm going to go through and I'm going to master What are the odds of my succeeding? Even if I really mean it, even if I really intend it. You know, uh, listen, Halavai, I learn a Masecht. If I finish one Masecht and own it in a year, that's a tremendous accomplishment. But <coughs> going through Shas in one year and mastering it is beyond... But even if I want it, even if I mean, demand it myself. Now, <coughs> usually, <coughs> people fall prey to one or the other. Either they become so lax, they give themselves a lot, a lot of <coughs> leeway, they don't demand of themselves anything, <coughs> or they become such taskmasters and that they're not satisfied until they reach the highest madriga. Let me let you know a secret. Change is very difficult. Change is slow and incremental. And you said it exactly well. You made certain inroads, you made certain growth, and it's very likely you did not yet reach perfection. I hope you didn't reach perfection, because again, if you reach perfection, you'd be over. You've done your job here. <clears throat> you have many, many years in Mitzvah of life, and many, many years of growth, and you're not expected to reach total Shuva Shalema, tomorrow. <clears throat> you're supposed to grow, you're supposed to reach what you can. And the reason that Hashem is able to forgive you is because Hashem knows what you're capable of, and provided you're really doing your best, provided you're really putting out your effort, <clears throat> that's all Hashem wants from you, all Hashem wants is your betterment. The problem is, often we demand from ourselves things that we can't do, and that's not fair. You know what I'm saying? Sure. I get that. Okay. okay. So you're now, right to put in all your effort. Right. Do absolutely, make sure that you're putting... 110% in, and and the rest is like, okay, I put in my effort, like Hashem, please help me the rest of the right. way. Now, in terms of what to learn, so I think Masil Sharma is the best. And the one single Muslim Sefer that stands out amongst all is Masil Sharma. And, and really the first, um, I, I agree with you, the Rashiva Zatzal used to tell us that anything beyond the 11th parak, you know, the 10th, 11th parak, is all, um, we'd call it theory. It's important to be aware of it, to be, but it's not really for us. And so it's the first ten parakim, and really, honestly, it's the first four parakim, and I, I cannot tell you how many times I've learned them, and the first parak especially, I cannot count. I can no longer count how many times I've gone over it again and again and again. And so any Muslim Sefer that works, especially Muslim Sharm, I think is great, and you have to go over it again and get into it and use it and, and try. Now, some people can't use the actual Muslim Sharm. In that case, you want to use things on it. So again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention this again, there's the Musa 101 on the Shmuz.com. I spent those 16 shurim on the first parak. There's the Musa workshop. I went through the four parakim, the first four parakim, Musa Sharm. You could, there are plenty right. of people who've done so it. I'll Go. check it out. Okay. I'll check it out for sure. Okay, good. Okay, Gamar Tov, a good Gaben Shiar. Gamar Tov. Okay, thank, thank you. Okay, please feel free to raise your hand if you have a question, um, if you like. <laughs> if you're very shy, you could type your question in, but uh, hopefully you'll... Okay, actually, I do want to deal with this question. <clears throat> Gehenim being so hot as a kiln times 60, 
<coughs> we're no longer physical in the next world, how does that affect the soul? Okay, good. So, <coughs> when Chazal use that mushal, it's, it's a parable. Meaning to say, <coughs> my body's put in the ground and I separate. There's no fire, there's no heat, but the flames of embarrassment, I recognize the stupidity of my ways, the folly, the foolishness. And I recognize that Hashem was right there. And Hashem did everything for me. Hashem did everything for my benefit. And Hashem was keeping me in existence, and I took my hand and I slapped Hashem with that very... The embarrassment is so powerful that it's like a fire, a fire like 60 times hot. That's Chazal's parable to explain what Gehenim is like. But again, it's strictly in a spiritual sense, and it's not in the physical world, but it's much more intense, because you see here, because I'm in the body, everything I feel is muted, everything I feel is is much less there, I'm so much more alert, so much more awake, so much more alert, and the pain or the joy is much more acute. So that's why, you know, Gehenim is compared to the to the fire that's that that's that hot. Okay, um, okay. Please feel free to raise your. I'd much rather take questions raising hands because then I get to drink between. I get to rest my voice for a moment. No, but really, it's much more. It's much easier. Okay, uh, Emuna has a hand up. Um, you have the floor. Emuna, go ahead, please. One thing that I've had is that I tend to get frozen in place because I think I'm not going to remember everything I have to do Teshuvah on. So I kind of get like black, like I don't want to think about anything. Okay. Um, you can't remember everything. So, I mean, let's start with one thing. Pick one thing. Is there one thing you... Okay, good. And pick a couple examples of that and start working on it. What happens when you do that? You see, I'll explain. What I usually find is, I find if I take one area and I get it and I start crying, then it's much, everything else follows suit because I begin, you're in the, you're kind of in that mode. Now, you have to do a little work before you You can't walk into Yom Kippur cold. It's a very good idea to make a list of areas that you need to work on, specific things you did wrong, you know, specific, you know, uh, concepts or ideas or areas, um, and then you, you know, when you have them, it's, by the way, it's not even a bad idea to take the list to shul with you, or wherever you're going to be on Yom Kippur, uh, and you, you go through it. The alchets are sort of like a, you know, the cliff notes, they're they're very good memory joggers, um, so I'm, I'm just trying to say, what would happen, let's say you, you started with one, and you started crying, started feeling it, what would happen, you, you feel you wouldn't wouldn't roll over to other ones? I guess I'm just concerned that I'm, I'm going to miss something, so to speak. Yeah, you're going to miss something. You know why? You're a human being. And you cannot do more than you can do. But guess what? You're not expected to do more than you can do. You're only expected to do what you're capable of. You're not expected to become a tzaddikis. You're not supposed to be sorry, menu by the end of tomorrow. You're not supposed to be... That's just not the way it works. <clears throat> Halavai, you pick a few areas and really feel harat and you really... And do a tshuva, you're getting rid of Averis. It's it's great. It's a, it's a tremendous accomplishment. Mm-hmm. All right, I don't um, know. Is that clear? Okay. I'm, I'm not sure I understood the question, so I'm not sure I answered anything. But are we good? I think so. Just one, one more question, if I may. Please. please. Um, so on the one hand, we're not supposed to make we're not supposed to make a whole bunch of kabbalos because it's not going to last anyway. Right. <clears throat> on the other hand, when we're when we're when we're clapping al shades. It's not just enough to just say, you have to really feel regret. You right. have to really feel... Right. 
And you have to really have a plan. You really have to have a plan for the future. Right. <laughs> you can't work on everything. As you think, you can't work on everything all at once. So. Right. Okay. Let, let's focus a minute. <clears throat> Tshuva has four components to it. <clears throat> Number one, Aziva Sachet, leaving the Chet. I'm, I'm, I'm running away from. I'm not doing this. I'm running away from it. Number one. Number two, charata, regret. I feel horrible about what I did. And number three is vidui, saying to Hashem <coughs> the sin that I did. And number four is Kabbalah alaba, accepting in the fact a plan how I'm not going to do it again. Now, <coughs> tshuva has many, many levels to it. You could do a little bit, a lot of it. It's like the Rebbeinu Yonah says, like have a stain on your coat. Uh, some mud splash on your coat, you could take a... Rub some off, rub a little bit more, a little more. You take a rag and rub it. Finally, take detergent. There's still a sort of shadow you rub in. <clears throat> tshuva has many, many levels to it, like cleaning the mud off a coat. Any sort of tshuva takes off some. <clears throat> digging a little deeper takes off more. Digging deep. If you really, really dig in totally, totally deep, <clears throat> you could eradicate. There's not even a stain, not even a shadow, nothing left. But <clears throat> you're not going to do that on many areas, <clears throat> many things in one Yom Kippur. And that's why, Mr. Shem, you have more time. But you pick the areas that you think you can do. I mean, you have to, you try to go through all the achets as much as you can, because anything that you do <clears throat> takes off a little bit. But you try to pick one area, one thing that you know is really, as you said, let's say, Shemir Salash, whatever it may be. And in that area, you go through this process. The process is, number one, I, I'm away from this, I'm done. And number two, I feel terrible. Number three, I, I say to Hashem what it is I did wrong. And number four, a plan to do differently. By the way, you want to work on Shemir Salashan, there's really only one way to do it. You make a Seder. I'm going to learn 10 minutes a day, or 10 minutes twice a week, set it up with a Chavrusa, set it up with somebody, have a regular Seder in it, and I guarantee that will change your Shemir Salashan more than anything else. All the regret and everything is nice, but it's that learning it twice a week, especially if you can do it every day, whatever you can do, and that will have more impact than probably anything else you do with it. Right. One question, just to understand yeah. if I may. Um, so, I, I believe that you would say that technically if a person does a proper teshuva, then he doesn't, did I understand correctly, if a person has a proper, proper teshuva, by the end of his life, he doesn't have to go to Gehenna at all? Correct. Or even if he does do a... Total, total clean. But unfortunately, it's not so easy to do a total, total teshuva on everything, because as you said, just going through all of my days and all of my life, and, you know, it's, and, and really reaching that true true regret, and, and for Hashem to say he's a changed person, he'll never do it again, not that simple. But yes, it is true. Total, complete tshuva eradicates everything you get every weeks, months, years, whatever, gone. Thank you very, very much. Okay, okay, Gemara Tov. Good much Okay, let me just set this, I'm going to take Benjamin a second, if I could just, one second. Okay, Benjamin, you have the floor. Okay. Uh, hi, Rabbi. Hi. Um, often, often I struggle with Chuba Me'alba and just essentially do Chuba Me'ira. How do I go from Yira to Alba? Hey, yeah, 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 yeah. Halavai, you do Chuba wherever you do from. It's fine. It's good. Halavai, you do it. You know, you know what does Chuba mean? Chuba means recognizing that what I did was foolish. It's self-destructive. It's damaging. Listen. Hashem put me in the world for one reason, to allow me to grow and accomplish, to be what I could be forever. What I did was damage myself. I put my hand in a fire. I drank bleach. I damaged me. Just that understanding, then the process of tshuva is, now I want to get rid of that. I, I, I want to undo this. So that process is holy, is great. You go through that process, you're, 
you're great. Tshuva <clears throat> me'ava me'yira, you know, uh, <clears throat> yira means I'm afraid of the punishment. I, I don't know how much we're really afraid of punishment because <clears throat> unfortunately it's not real enough. I, I think anything we do is is tshuva me'ava. I want to do what Hashem wants. I, I want to serve Hashem properly. I don't want to be <clears throat> saddled, held down with these heavy baggages of sins that pull me down. I want to get rid of it. I, I think if you think that, you're doing fine and anything beyond that is... I wouldn't work on it. Okay, and how do we do chua? How do we do chua for things that we know realistically that we're probably gonna mess up on again? <laughs> like, how can we look at Hashem with all like seriousness and say, like, we actually like fully feel bad and have real harata? Okay, let me tell you something. If you say to Hashem as follows, Hashem, I sure wish I were different. I feel terrible. <clears throat> Unfortunately, I, mean, I, I, I wish I please help me. I don't want to ever do it again. I might please help me. That alone is a powerful, powerful, powerful tefillah. You see, what you want to do is ask Hashem for help. Don't do this one alone. you got power assist. Hashem says, you do a little work, I'll do the rest. Now, you're right. There are many, many things that we're not going to totally eradicate. Let's say I say the following. I will not be mavata one minute of Torah the coming year. Not one minute. What are the odds of my succeeding at that? Um, zero, right? So it's not going to happen. <clears throat> but I understand the gravity of Bittal Torah. And say, yeah, that's very nice. But in the real world, it's not going to happen. So <clears throat> you can't, and real tshuva means that I'm really a changed man, <clears throat> and I can't do tshuva on many things, and if I know realistically I'm going to fall back into that thing, <clears throat> the best thing I can do is just ask Hashem for help. I, Hashem, I'm, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be involved in this. Please help me change. I wish I could do total tshuva. I can't yet, but please help me make a plan. Please help me grow so that I can get out of this area so I can get out of this problem. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay, hope that answers the question. Okay. Okay, Benjamin, I wish you much, much shatzlacha. A good gibenchiar. Are we good? Are we, did that answer? Yeah, it did. Okay, okay, good. Okay, good gibenchiar. Okay, let me see. Mordechai, Mordechai, you have the floor. I think you do, yeah. Hi. Hi, I don't. I can't hear you. Yeah, uh, just, just. Um, I'm gonna plug in an, an ear thing real quick. Okay. And that way, you able to hear me better. One it should work. Oh, second. Sorry, Um, here we go. Hi, Rabbi. Hi. Yeah, so you answered, I, I, thank you, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I didn't catch his name, and I think like two questions back, saying that if, uh, you, you wanted to know, if a person did a complete shuba, which is a hard thing to do, before they die, they wouldn't have to go to Gehenim at all. Right. And you answered, the reason is, is because Jim knows you won't do, you know, bad in the future, mm-hmm. but if, if this is the world that we're in of action, and we do mitzvot here, and Nevei is here, the world to come, you know, we benefit from our mitzvot, but I, I, as far as I know, I, I don't think we do them, as far as I know. Right. So the question is, why is it so important for Hashem to know that you're not going to do them anymore when you don't even have a possibility, you know, about to do them right. anyway? Right, right. So let's understand what that means. If if Hashem is made, the Rambam's expression is, if Hashem says about this person he's a changed man, then he's cleaned up. Meaning, 
What a, what an avera does is change me for the bad. It makes me, we could use a muscle of dirty or changes me, separates me from Hashem. And what tshuva does is eradicates that. In other words, let's say, let's say I put into my sense, my sense of self of greed or sense of desire. But in that moment of tshuva, I reach the full understanding how bad that is for me and how much it damages me. And that understanding alone changes me so that that's no longer part of me. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah. Tshuva is a changing process. It's a growing process where I change. I get it. I understand it. Now, really, tshuva is a special gift because, very nice, I changed, but I still did that action. If I change, then Hashem takes care of the action, eradicates it, it's not there, as if it never happened. So that's the gift of tshuva, but the, the, the work of tshuva is changing me, and when I change me, then Hashem eradicates the, the action. Okay? Okay. Okay, very good. Okay, good. Good Thank you. Thank you. Okay, Marto. Okay, Ruvain, Ron, you have the floor. I believe you do. I hope you do. Yes. Yes, hi. Hi. Wow. It's like drinking from a fire hose. So, what would you suggest if if anger is my big uh, nisoyim and especially at people who are close to me uh, what would you suggest uh, I do uh, yeah, 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 yeah so you got 20 years <laughs> I hope well, good. Okay. I don't know okay if you got 20 years I got a plan you see um, you could work and you got to, but you have to understand that it's it's slow slow progress um, and working on anger, like any media, is a very slow process. And working on it requires, you see, you have to understand what's really causing the anger. It, it, it's, it's a little bit more complicated than we can have in a conversation now. Um, you know, it depends on, again, usually it depends on the source of the anger. If, if it's just in general anger, it's easy enough. Sometimes it, it's, yes, I, I can't answer that really because, again, I, we'd have to get into the particulars, which really wouldn't be appropriate for now. So, my answer is um, that it, it's always, you have to work on the media itself, but again, you have to know what the cause is, and you have to recognize that it's going to take a while. Um, usually, no matter what, no matter what, no matter what, the pivot point of all midas is humility. And even if really, you know, again, anger could have different causes, and, and in context it has to be worked on, but regardless of the cause, working on humility helps across the board for all the midos, and especially anger. You see, a lot of times anger comes from my sense of, I should be in control, and I'm not. Why? You're violating my will. Why? Who am I anyway? How much can I control? I'm such a person, I'm such a big shot. When you become more humble, it's much easier not to get angry. Again, I I don't want to answer the question, because we'd have to discuss again, more the particular, you know, driving force of the anger, but what I can say is, um, working on humility is a good idea, and it's a very important um, series on the Shmuz uh, site. It's called Humility, uh, Arrogance, and Self-Esteem, Find, Creating a Balanced Human Being. Balanced person, something like that. Arrogance arrogance, and Self-Esteem, Creating a Balanced Person. If you look on the Shmuz site, you'll see it. I think it's six or seven um, shiurim that deal with it. And I, I highly recommend it because it'll help. Again, I can't... The 
anger we have to might have to address specifically, but regardless, working on humility is a very good idea because again, it, it helps all the midos and it's sort of linchpin of, of everything. So that would be my recommendation. But again, it, it's not going to be quick and it's not going to be, you know, you have to do a little bit, a little bit, and you ask Hashem for help. And uh, if you want, we could discuss privately a little bit more. You know, Rebbe at theshmuz.com, R E B B E at theshmuz.com. Just send me an email. We'll try to talk probably after Yom Kippur. R E B B E at theshmuz.com. Just send me an email. We'll try to hopefully talk. All right? Okay. All right. Okay. Good. Good. Sure. Thank you. Okay. Avrami Siegel, how are we doing? Let's see if we can get you to talk. Avrami, howdy. Hi, Rabbi, how are you? Good, good. Baruch Hashem, how are we doing? Baruch Simatova. Gemar Simatova. So I have a question. I was listening to a shir on Torah Anytime the other day, and the person giving the shir was talking about <laughs> the power of Yom Kippur and the potential of the day and being Mechaper a sin, and he said something, a concept that I never heard of, and I'm just wondering if you could maybe, I don't know, share share if there's, if there's, if it's, I don't know, a source or something. He basically said that while it's a hard or virtually impossible Madriga to reach, that Yom Kippur has not just the ability to be Mechaper, but to change you to the point where if like he said, he said, if you're the type of person that comes late, then the, the potential of the day is is that the day itself can make you change you into a person who's not going to come late. And he gave, you know, he started telling a story about how he had some medical issues, and he's a big Doctor Sarno fan. And he talked about how, you know, with Doctor Sarno, for anybody who's familiar with it, I'm sure you are. You know, it only works if you believe in it. So he was saying that, you know, Yom Kippur only works if you believe in it. But he was saying that the potential of what it can do if you hit that madrega can be to change you on that level. I've always learned, like you said tonight, that you, you know, you pick something small and you work on yourself. And over time, it evolves into other areas of growth and other areas of growth. To the point where you're over the years, you really see right. the change. So right, right. I took the initiative to actually ask him. You know, I, I, I asked him. Um, I asked the the person who said that about it, and and you know, the first question is, I mean, is that is that true? I mean, even if it is true, is it practical advice to be giving in a share? I don't know. Yeah. But is that true that the potential of the day is today I'm a lazy person and tomorrow I'm not a lazy person? So let me let me tell you, there's a there's a a schmooze named uh, Tshuva is easy, change is difficult. Meaning, <laughs> the odds... I'll give you a good for instance. Let's say I smoke uh, two packs of cigarettes a day. And I say, I say, this is crazy. This is sick. I'm going to kill myself. And I throw out my cigarettes. I make a total, total decision. I will never smoke another cigarette a day. I totally have the Tshuva. I totally got rid of my cigarettes. But my lungs are still black. Meaning, if you became lazy by b- spending years and years building up laziness and it becomes a midah, your hakari, your recognition that's bad is great, but you still got to change the midah and you're not going to suddenly poof, a new human being. I, I don't know how it works. I've never seen a chazal like I've, I've never seen it in real life. And I, I don't know. I, I can't even envision how how you could change that way uh, on the Yom Kippur. Uh, I don't know. I, I can't. It doesn't, uh, doesn't com- compute. 
So, halavai, uh, again, halavai, we do a tshuva where we recognize the sin, make up to leave it, have charata. That's what tshuva is. It's not going to change my midos. It's not going to change the essence of me. It'll maybe propel me to start working on my midos. If I was lazy, it'll propel me to start doing the work to change, to get rid of my anger, get rid of my arrogance. Fine. But it's not going to instantly make me, uh, yeah, I don't know, I, I don't know. Maybe it's, I'd like to go to that Yom Kippur. I love, sign me up. I, I got lots of stuff I'd like to change. I just, I don't think so, Romy. Sorry. Sorry to be the bearer of bad tidings. I don't think so. Uh, verified for me what I what I've already, like, my instinct to hearing that. Good, so thank good. You. Okay, a good gementiar. Okay, good hearing you. Yeah, thank you. Okay, let's take a couple more questions. Malka, you have the floor. Can you Hi. hear me? I can hear you now, yes. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, so I have a short question. I live in Israel, and we're in quarantine now. Oh my goodness, so you're in Israel. What time is it now? <laughs> six o'clock. Oh, Come six o'clock in the so morning. Bad. Oh, okay, good morning. <laughs> Do you have any tips on, like, making Yom Kippur meaningful? We don't have it. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I hear you, I hear you. It's uh, it's rough. It's It is rough. Um, I don't know what to tell you. Listen, Hashem helps. you got to try. I spent one Yom Kippur. My daughter, Racheli, who just got married, was born on Yom Kippur. And uh, it was one of those Yom Kippurs where I actually ended up driving my wife on Yom Kippur. You know, we made the whole plan, have a uh, have a neighbor call the cab. Da, da, da. Anyway, it was the doctor said, you better get it quick. I drove her myself. Anyway, I found myself in the in the chapel. It was about, I got to the hospital maybe 12 o'clock, it mean noon. And the chapel was locked. I didn't have a machzor, nothing. Baruch Hashem, I remembered the Nusach by heart, but I ended up davening that Yom Kippur, which meant uh, it was Musaf, uh, Mincha, and Ni'ilah without a sitter. So um, you do your best. You know, it's if you can sing, it's very, very helpful. Very, very helpful. Because the Nigan awakens and helps you. And, and take your time. You know, sometimes, I, I'll be honest with you, there are times when I... I won't do it, but I, there are times I wish I could daven b'yechidus because you can daven slower and you can daven with a with feeling, and especially if you daven out loud. Um, you know, even Shemona Esrei, if you if you feel that you can't daven Shemona Esrei with kavana, and the only way you could do it is with you know saying it out loud, you're allowed to even say Shemona Esrei out loud. Um, and the Taz feels Mishmar doesn't hold so much, but Taz feels even if you just will have better kavana, the Taz held you could say it out loud. But you, certainly, if you feel it makes a tremendous difference, uh, you know, I would say it out loud. And you'd be surprised if you just think of one thing. Hashem is right here, and I'm speaking to Hashem right here. Just like I, Hashem describes Tila, I'm speaking to my friend right here, my friend may respond to me, not Zui Tila. That's Domini. I'm speaking to Hashem right here, the creator of the heavens and earth. And if you speak to Hashem, it'll, Hashem will help. <laughs> Hopefully it'll, it'll, it'll work. Oh, amazing. <laughs> Thank you so All much. All right, much, much atzlacha. Okay. Okay, good. A good adventure. Okay, uh, let me just see talking. And, alright, Sarah, you have the floor. Sarah, uh, I think you have the floor. I think you do, yes. Do you? No, one second. Sarah, one second. Malka, no, one second. One second. One second, I'm sorry. I think. Oh, I'm Sarah. Yes, oh, hi. 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 Hello? Yes, hi. Okay. Um, so my question is that um, I, sh- I feel like I, I I keep, I think it's a similar question from someone else, but I just feel that um, I 
I keep getting the same tests over and over again. I keep failing and I'm going to try harder this year. Like if people, my problem is strong personalities in my life to deal with them. I, I get angry too easily. Like I'll, instead of like letting it go and keep my mouth shut. I, I want to try to work on, you know, keeping quiet and letting it go. Do you have any tips for that? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're not making it easy. That's not an easy one either. Um, you see, we human beings, I, I've often said I wish I were programmable. I wish I could program myself. We're not programmable. Um, listen, you got to work on things. Um, usually, that kind of thing, working on a Muna, is probably one of the best things to work on, really recognizing that no human being can harm me, no human being can help me, no human being can change anything in my destiny. What's supposed to happen is going to happen. And human beings can speak, they can talk, but they can't touch me. Usually that's an effective way, but it's not easy. It's not easy at all. We human beings, we get triggered, we get emotional, we get reactive. And working on it, um, working on it isn't easy. Usually the best thing to do is to use people smarts. In other words, what I try, what I recommend more than anything is to figure out what is it that that person's trying to accomplish and what is it about what they do that gets you particularly upset and try to you know, finesse it so that that becomes much less of a problem. Do you know what I mean? Don't. I, I, yeah, I feel like I'm just put typical people. It's just like over and over again, like strong people, strong personalities. It's a test, I feel. Um, it might well I, be. Yeah. yeah, yes, it might well be, exactly. Very typical people. Over and over again, okay. Um, so my family members and some of people like now I'm experiencing somebody at work, it's very hard. So, I, I bought the book, um, from Kabbalah the Peaceful Relationship. So, that was like good. my goal. It's like I was trying to work on good, good, that's great, that's great, exactly. And learning to deal, learning to deal with difficult people, that's it's not it's not easy. Uh, Miriam Anaheim has a book, I never read it, but it's the title I love. Learning to deal with difficult people, especially yourself, or even yourself, or something like that. A very clever title. Um, yeah, all right, listen, I, I, you know, I can't give you an easy one there, but again, what I'd say to you more than anything is finessing the people skills. You see, it, it requires shimshana gibor not to get angry, but it requires just a little bit of people skills to, you know, like, I'll give you for instance, my, my son was having trouble with his niece, and he was saying that uh, she's annoying, she's annoying, she's annoying. I'm not, not with his with, with his niece, my granddaughter, his niece. Um, and so I said, kill her with kindness. And and he bought her candy, etc. And all of a sudden, they're, they're, they're good friends. In other words, <laughs> meaning using a little bit of people skills. Right, got it, right. Mm-hmm. right. There's a lot of times these type of personalities are insecure themselves. And- right, right, exactly. And they just need some attention. You give them that attention, suddenly they're your best friend. Exactly. All right. Much atzlacha. Good, good, Ben Shior. Things should go well. Okay. El Nutton. El Nutton, how are we doing? Hi, Rabbi Shalom Aleichem. Aleichem Shalom. What part of the world are you in? Uh, I'm just in New York. Not New so York. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but uh, I have a two-point question. I mean, there are separate questions. The first question is, if it seems, seems like from the Halakha's farm that the biggest thing for Kapara, like that can I get everything, is Kambatara. So how come Yom Kippur doesn't look a little bit more like Shavuos? <laughs> and you, you can learn for two hours during a break, maybe, or maybe at night if you're, you know, you're trying to do a slant. But like, well, my son is just tefillah. I mean, not just tefillah, but it's almost no Torah. So right. like, it's a little confusing if it's actually 
right. what I call. Okay. Yeah. So I'll explain. I, let, let me do it one at a time because I'll forget the question. So then you'll ask the second yeah. one, and maybe by then you'll forget the second one also. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So here's how it works. Torah is the single greatest mitzvah, the single greatest spiritual nourishment. It's the rocket fuel for the soul, but it's not machapar neveras. Meaning to say, if you did an avera, the avera is there. The only thing that gets rid of the avera is tshuva. So learning mitzvahs are great. You know, learning Torah is great. You stack up more mitzvahs, more mitzvahs, more mitzvahs, and it'll make you holier, and make you realize the, the bad that you did, and make you want to get rid of it more. But that avera that you did is still there until you do tshuva. Tshuva, and you know, there's, there's positives and negatives. In other words, meaning, rack up all the positives. Again, what learning Torah is, number one, it's a mitzvah in of itself. Number two, it gives me the, it lights my soul up, so I want to grow, I want to accomplish more. But again, if I have an Aveira that's there, I have to get rid of the Aveira. The only way to do that is either through a Kapara, <coughs> carbon, or Tshuva. Tshuva is the easiest way. Um, you know, you have to get rid of it. Right. Okay, no, I, I thought, it could be I was wrong, but I thought I saw, like, in, uh, in the Yad Yosef, he says that it's not just, not just can I get a call in Shkhar, it's can I get a call in actual Kapara for, for Aveira. That's that's why I had to have me ask the question. Uh-huh. But... I could be all wrong. Um, second question is, is I wanted to know, um, when you're having like in mind specific affairs, let's say, Russian horror, anger, whatever it is, and you're davening for kafar, are you supposed to replay the affairs you did in your head and remember them like on a on-base situation? Or are you supposed to say, I struggle with anger, I struggle with Russian horror, whatever it is, and just the idea itself, I want like, I want to be machaper more of a little bit of a general, or replay no. specific scenarios in your head. Right, so the real way to do tshuva actually is replay the individual act uh, itself in your head and, and eradicate, you know, really feel the charata for it. Now the problem is, it's very, very, di- it's impossible for us to do that. So if you can't do that, you do it in the general, and you try to get it, you see, the problem is you're not going to have a real charata in a general sense. It's the particular vera that's going to give you the charata, and hopefully you let that carry over to the rest of the category. You know what I'm saying? In other words, uh, you, and, you see, the problem is for us to really regret something, you have to feel it. But if I don't identify something specifically, a, a specific act, a specific thing, I don't feel the real regret. So it's, it's almost impossible to really do tshuva. So my recommendation would be you pick one specific, let's say Lashon Hara, one time I spoke Lashon and I shouldn't, and you think about it and dwell on it, and hopefully that emotion of Charata will carry you to the category in general, because you're not going to remember all the times you spoke Lashon during the year, but if you take one, it'll carry over. Again, ideally, if you were to do Tshuva, it would be on every single action. We're never going to be able to do that. Yef Shalafartim, it's impossible to, to right. specify, and therefore, if we use a general, the problem the general itself won't work, so it's sort of like the eights is to pick one that gets you really feeling the charata and then use that to carry over to the category. Okay, thank okay. you Okay, all right. Good Okay, good Tov. Okay, let me just... Uh, one second, I have to... I'm not done. Let me disable talking. Yeah, here we go. Okay, let's move down the list. Please feel free to raise your hand if you want. Going all the way down the list now, good. Um, I see people still have their hands up if they asked already. Let me just see. Um, okay, I, I, w- I want to answer this question because it's similar to what we, was asked before. But somebody typed in the following. <clears throat> what should a person do if he feels it on Yom Kippur and other times of inspiration? He or f- she feels, I don't ever want to do that of air again. 
but they know that there'll be many times in the year that I'll fall into the vera because I won't always be on that high. Okay, <clears throat> so let, let's let's sort of take that apart, and, and there are two levels to it. Number one, if right now I say I will never do this again, and I make up a Kabbalah never to do it again, <clears throat> and I really mean it, at that moment I'm clean from the vera. If later on I fall, okay, I, I succeeded at the tshuva, <clears throat> I resisted, and for that time that I <clears throat> am clean, I'm clean. If I fall again, that's something different. The only caveat there is <clears throat> if I didn't really get rid of it. In other words, meaning, <clears throat> many times it's a kind of a error that you really can't get rid of, that you can't say to Hashem, <clears throat> I really never will do this again, I never want to do this again. Um, <clears throat> in that case, you can't fool Hashem. You have to work on it, and you have to ask Hashem for help. You have to ask Hashem to allow you to grow so that you can get there. <clears throat> but in that case, you're really not going to be able to do tshuva. But again, at this point, I want you to understand clearly. <clears throat> let's say there's a given thing. I Let's say I eat McDonald's, let's say, right? So, <clears throat> And I say, I'm never going to eat McDonald's again. And I don't. I pass one time at McDonald's and I don't go in. <clears throat> I pass the second time. Every time that I pass a McDonald's and I don't go in, I get schar for, for resisting. <clears throat> Even if on the fifth or the eighth time I do go in, the number of times that I resisted, I'm still given schar, even though I fell. <clears throat> the two unrelated issues. So, in theory, if you do a real tshuva now, <clears throat> and you're really unsincere, and, and it really is true that you left the Avera, even if later on you fall, it doesn't affect the tshuva. The problem, again, is that usually, <clears throat> what it means is you didn't really do a complete tshuva, because many things you're not going to completely eradicate. <clears throat> and in those areas, you just have to ask Hashem for help, and you have to say to Hashem, I'm a gedrosi tshuva, I'm in the process, I'm in the way, <clears throat> and you try your best. All right, I want to thank you for joining. I wish you all a good adventure. Please join us at Shmooz Live. will be, again, this Thursday, every Thursday night at <clears throat> at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We have the Shmooz Live. That's a 20-minute Shmooz, and then I do the uh, <clears throat> Q&A after. I also want to invite you to join the Shmooz WhatsApp Chizik group. Uh, we send out three, four times a week short videos, two, three-minute videos. If you'd like to have them come to your phone, just send a please subscribe to 845-216-9330. Again, that's 845-216-9330. And also, if you haven't gotten the Two Worlds, One Chance, the Schmooze book, it's available. Um, the copies are free. I just ask that you participate in the shipping. Someone very generously uh, sponsored it. The Two Worlds, One Chance book, you can just, if you like a copy, go to book.theschmooze.com. That's B-O-O-K dot the schmooze, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z.com. Again, that's book com B-O-O-K, .theshmooz.com. I wish you a good adventure. Hashem, accept your tefillahs, and may we all be zocher to a tshuva shlema. A good year.